Welcome to The Writing Life, the podcast for anyone who writes. I'm James Gill. And I'm Steph McKenna. From the National Centre for Writing here at Dragon Hall in Norwich, England. This month, we explore the short story, what makes a great short story, and how the format differs from longer forms such as the novel. Lots of writers and teachers extol the virtues of short stories as a training ground for novels, and while this might be true, short stories are a great medium in their own right, doing many things that novels can't. To help us delve into this topic, we spoke to writer and teacher Jen Ashworth. Jen is probably best known for her novels, which include A Kind of Intimacy, Cold Light and Notes Made While Falling, and her most recent novel, Ghosted. But, as you'll hear, Jen is also a writer and lover of short stories, including Midsummer Eve, which we discussed a bit in this episode. Incidentally, if you'd like to read Midsummer Eve, you'll find it in the collection of the same name published by Black Shuck Books. Head to blackshuckbooks.co.uk and you can buy the paperback for £12 or an ebook for £2. A uh, quick note on courses. We have our beginners courses in everything from straight fiction to memoir to crime and others. And if you're ready to level up your writing, we have brand new Next Steps courses in many of those genres. Head to nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk to find out more. This was a fantastic discussion with Jen who explains how theme, character, dialogue, editing and structure vary between novels and short stories, as well as giving us loads of great insights to help us craft gripping stories. And so, without further delay, we bring you Jen Ashworth. So Jen, you may be better known for your novels, Ghosted, Fell and A Kind of Intimacy, but you also have a long history of writing short stories and, uh, and doing collections and so on. So I wonder, just to begin if you wouldn't mind just sort of describing your relationship with the short story and with the, with the novel as, as formats. Yeah, sure. Did you start with short stories? No, I didn't. I didn't. I started writing novels and I wanted to be a novelist and I was given advice quite early on in my career that I should try short stories first. Um, and I know that short story writers get really irritated by that that the short story is a practice form where novelists cut their teeth and and even though I was advised to do that I I didn't find that remotely useful at all because I have always found short fiction to be the most difficult form I think a novel gives you some room to um for a certain amount of bagginess and there is pleasure in that there's pleasure in redundancy in slowness in repetition sometimes and novels good novels can hold all that I think short stories are like I don't know I think of them sometimes as really intricate watches and absolutely everything in there has got to count and has got to relate to everything else in a very very deliberate way so my relationship to them is different. I think that I always know when I have an idea, whether it's a short story idea or a novel idea, don't have that many novel ideas, like maybe one every every four or five years. But a short story, or when I do them, all the imaginative work that is required for a novel is also required for a short story. You have to know the entire world and all the characters' backstories and what they do next and what they would say if they were given the mic, just as you would with a novel. But then you choose which bits of that you're going to give to the reader. So, yeah, loads, loads harder. I read your Midsummer, Midsummer Eve short story, which I'm a lover of J.G. Ballard, and I'm actually currently sort of accidentally reading a collection of his little short stories. And when I read Midsummer Eve, maybe for that reason, or maybe because it is 
quite a, kind of J.G. Ballard. Um, I just felt that kind of atmosphere um, that, you'd, that you'd painted. Now, obviously, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but the way that the intricacy with which you were peeling back the layers of the onion that obviously, maybe rather obviously, you would get throughout the chapters of a book over 70,000 words. I was every couple of pages having a new kind of, ah, mm, and then a subsequent set of questions. Well, if that, if that, ah, so that's not what I thought it was, and it's this. So it's, it's interesting because there was, it was not baggy. There was, there was, it was just tight um, and streamlined. So I can see it's interesting um, that you're saying that it is more of a challenge. It is, and I, I think short stories, the reason why I love them as a reader is very different from the reason I love novels. I love novels that are kind of box set of genre and you can get inside and you can live there and you can, you know, engage with them in loads and loads of different ways and you pick up a novel on Tuesday and you pick it up again on Friday and you've changed your mind about the characters or you know, you're in a different mood and the novel is with you through all of that. And I love that. I love even even short novels, you know, we're not only talking about the kind of maximalist novel, but even short novels, it's like entering a world. And, and a short story, it's just a completely different experience for me as a reader in that it is such a distilled, intense hit. Um, it's like a little shot of something. <laughs> and And the intensity there is... I think it relies not only on brevity, but on everything that is on the page to be absolutely precisely deliberate in its in its presence and in its relationship to everything else on the page. So it's really, really hard. The Midsummer Eve story, um, which is about a couple who are on a um a kind of luxury vacation and all expenses paid, um what are they called? Like all inclusive vacations, so so they're there in this hotel and they get their drinks, they get their food, and we begin to realise almost immediately that the man is Terry is an awful human being, and that there's something not quite right going on at the resort. And those were the two questions that I wanted to play with, and I wanted every page to coax the reader into having a theory about. Terry and what was going on with him and about the resort and what was going on with the resort and every page I wanted that theory that the reader had to evolve or change in some way so it didn't take me as long as a novel to write but I will absolutely hold fast to the um, assertion that it is as much work as a novel yeah it's got to be as watertight and as you say the world has to be as built out as, as any novel because um, it has to sort of feel real. And the relationship to the reader is really different. So if this had have been a novel, you know, this couple are on this tropical island, which is unnamed, they're in this beautiful resort, there is a sense that they have come from the UK, there's a sense of what their lives might have been like in the UK, and there's a sense that something else is happening in the world. And that's hinted at just with two or three little lines. If this had been a novel... Um, I would have had the opportunity to dramatise a lot of that. And what I did with that short story was just give those two or three lines. And this is how you work with genre. I trusted that the reader had some knowledge of the kind of images that we're all living with on the news during the pandemic of, of genres like, um, I don't know, zombie films 28 days later, the kind of apocalypse genre. And I trusted that the reader was at least as well read and clever as I am, and probably in most cases much more, and that they just needed those little hints and they would do the work. 
I guess as a reader, that's also what I love about short stories, the amount of work that the author requires of you. It becomes a partnership. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so let me ask that you, you obviously have written both formats extensively. What is it that you like about writing short stories and that you like about writing novels that each that the other doesn't necessarily deliver? What is it that you enjoy about um, writing each? So I, I love short stories for being able to miss out exposition. And so many of my short stories have a, uh, a horror or a supernatural, an uncanniness, a gothicness about it. And I've, I've written long-form ghost stories, that's fell. And once you get into the long form, the reader requires backstory, requires exposition, requires some kind of greater logic for the machine. And a short story, no one expects that and you don't have to do it. So if I say, you know, well, this is how the world works in the short story, the reader, it's, it's a risk. The reader will accept it or not, but there's there's... You can be bolder, I think. You can be you yeah. can be a lot bolder. So I love that in short fiction. I'm I'm writing one at the moment where um a couple are asked um they're they're dealing with infidelity in their marriage and their couple required um the couple therapist says they need to get a hobby in common and they decide that their hobby is gonna be dowsing for dead bodies. And if that was a novel, I would have to do kind of five chapters of character work to under- to to get the reader to the point where they would believe that as a decision. I think with the short story, your reader's already on board with the bold, with the risky, with the not quite um realist, not quite naturalist treatment of character. So I can just say, trust me, this is how it's going to be. Let's have fun. So I love that about short stories. With novels, all that stuff that short stories don't do, I love doing. <laughs> so so I love the slow unravelling of backstory. I love the way that we don't only see a character in taking an action in a scene or in relationship with someone um, immediately close by them. What I love is that everything is about everything else. That if a couple are having an argument, it is about them, but it's also about their parents. It's also about their parents' parents. It's also about where they live and how they were educated. And that a novel gives you some room to concentrate on the precision of the scene, but also give us that that broader context. And I'm I'm talking, I guess... Personally, for the kind of novels and short stories that I write, I'm not making rules about what short stories and novels should do. Because even as I'm talking and I can think of these very, you know, very precise, spare, bold, radical, illogical novels and very contextualised short stories. So there are exceptions. It's, it's just my taste. OK. And I think um, it's, it's interesting. I'm only a hobby writer, but I you know, threw myself at the novel first, you know, first thing to do. You did that first as well? Just first, like, you know, yeah, did that first. And did people say to you, oh, write short stories first, learn how to do it on short stories? No, I was uh, was only given that advice afterwards, or I, you know, found it. But I, so I threw myself at the novel, and the feedback that came back was nothing really happens until the beginning. I was, it's a sort of a near future dystopia. And so I just all world building until halfway through the book. And I went, right, so I finished that, and I'm going to do some short stories. And actually, I loved that it's almost like sort of Hollywood movie style it's all action you know I just just focus on the story you can build out a couple of character bits afterwards if you haven't done the important stuff uh, in the telling of the short stories um, and actually I think they're what's called a novelette in terms of length length I think it's sort of you know 20 40,000 words um, but um, yeah so I think 
and I can I can see why people say it's a great training ground because you build you get your plot and your story bowling along, and then you you know your characters can sort of build and you can and revise. But, but um, there's something about the world building that short story writers don't get away with not doing it. You've still got to do it. It's still got to be all in your head, and then you've got to pick which bits of it you're going to give to the reader. So that's why for me it's a more difficult form. And I love world building. I love fantastic genres. I love. The, the kind of expanse and the spread and the bagginess of a novel. Um, so it's not like the, the genre Olympics here, but they're definitely yeah. really, really different things. I don't think short stories are little novels, and short stories are not bits of novels either. Short stories are much more, I think, in their relationship with time and with space and, and with death as well, I think. Much more like poems and... Um, and drama, especially radio drama. Like I learn more about how to do short stories from poetry and from radio drama than I do from novels. Interesting. And you sort of talking about the relationships there, I wanted to ask as well, what do you think that the public's general view of short stories is? Because it, it surprises me in some ways that they are not as popular as you might imagine, as we've just described, short stories, these great, punchy, immediate, rewarding, compared to the time um, invested... Little, little items. How come it seems to me that people don't buy short story collections um, particularly as much as they used to and that short stories aren't in the periodicals and the journals and some of the greats of, of literature came from short stories from Dickens, Sherlock Holmes. Um, I'm a big fan of Philip K. Dick who wrote um, and Asimov, these guys who wrote short stories. What Stephen the, King the too, I think. Ab- well, absolutely, yeah. So what do you think the public's view of, of the sort of, of the short story in the context of um, that the novel seems to be the short stories seem to be a route to novels. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really tricky, isn't it? It's really mm. tricky because I don't know if I can say anything remotely useful about, like, the public's opinion, but I do think the publishing industry um, would always prefer a writer to deliver a novel than a, a collection of short stories, and that's economic, and I think that possibly a novel is easier to describe, easier to market, easier to sell, and there are more... Um, review spaces for novels there are more um, literary prizes and competitions for novels so it is the kind of big beast of fiction publishing and we we do have a really thriving exciting small press you know periodicals and a lot of stuff happening online but I suspect when we talk about the general public it's actually people who write for those magazines are the people who are reading them and and buying them so there's some kind of economics there that's not quite working and I I don't know why that would be given and and this is an argument that I have heard many many times that a short story is a perfect thing to read on your mobile phone while you're waiting for the kids to come out from school and I, I just think in that 10 minute gap when you've got the phone in your hand People are not necessarily going to the short story. They may be going to the podcast or they may be going to a blog or they're going to social media. So I don't I don't have a solution for that. But that <laughs> I, I know that's not what you're asking for. But I, I think that might be what's happening. And I, I think it's a shame because the people who do read short stories and do buy, I don't know, Granta magazine and Black Static and um and The Night Jars, which is, is a great you probably know it, um Nicholas Royal in Manchester publishes these individual short stories in these beautiful pamphlets. They are they're passionate about it. 
And it, it, it matters. It's not a lesser form. It's not a, a kind of economic disappointment. It's the, it's the real thing. So I don't know generally what the, the public's attitude is, but I know that writers love them. <laughs> Yeah. And, and actually, that is absolutely the answer to that to that question is, and again, it's probably a podcast in itself, but how the business shapes public opinions, how marketing affects what people are into and by, but also technology, to your point, uh, again, it's, it's only a hypothesis, but I, uh, and it's being controversial for the sake of it, but is that music has repa- replaced poetry, because, you know, 400, compared to 400 years ago, let's say, when people didn't have music, musical instruments or the training and so on. Now there's music everywhere and, and so on. Anyway, for discussion for another time, but it's, you're absolutely right. I think um, uh, technology and, and the business is shaping. There's, there's hope there, though, because I love listening to short stories. I really do. And a couple of short stories is the ideal thing to listen to while I'm walking the dog. And I think the BBC contributes strongly in this area. Um, we've got BBC Sounds, we've got Radio 4, Radio 3 that are doing it. We've got podcasts that are kind of quite dramatised short stories or there's the hinterland between the radio drama and the short story that the podcast drama is, you know, really, really interrogating. So there's, there's, there's hope yet. And maybe we writers should not, rely on our industry to make those spaces for us but to get a bit punk and a bit DIY about it and get our short stories out there um, and and that's what I tried to do with Curious Tales which was a kind of tiny self-publishing project where I worked with a few friends and um, writers and artists and made these kind of tiny boutique self-published collections of ghost stories they didn't even have ISBN numbers and we hand sold them at events and you know, we didn't make any money, but the project washed its face and it came to some attention, like the Telegraph kind of wrote, wrote up what we were doing. Amazing. Yeah, so I think I think we can take some responsibility and we can take matters into our own hands. Great, okay. I don't have any segue material. I'm just going to ask you this question. Is uh, and I'm really interested because you mentioned ideas earlier and that you have a novel idea every four years, you know, ish. And is, are some ideas too large to be short stories and are some too sort of small and focused to become novels but particularly the first bit let's ask first are some ideas too too large to be short stories there will be writers who can condense multi-generations of activity into two three thousand words but that's not the kind of writer I am, <laughs> um, is, is the kind of very hedgy way I will answer that question. I know that, um, so for example, my, my idea for the short story that I'm working on now about the couple who decide that they're going to take up dowsing, I knew that that was a short story because I didn't care about the circumstances of the affair or the infidelity. I didn't care about whether their marriage was going to survive or not. I didn't care about whether they had kids or not or what jobs they did. And I will imagine all that material as I work on the story. But what I really cared about was, are they going to find a body or not? And what what happens? Like, I had a very distinct, focused question that was about um, what their what kind of horror their marriage needed to, to to survive and what that might say about that kind of relationship. It was a really small question and it was the only one that I was interested in. If this was a novel idea, 
I'd have been super interested in the other woman or the other man and who found out and how that worked and and what their parents you know had to say about it and what they all did for a living and you know what was going to happen two years in the future so for me a novel question is on the stories about cause and effect. It's almost always about backstory. How did we get here? What kind of person does this? And a short story idea and a short story question is very, very kind of distilled and focused. And there's often something quite, for me, quite naughty or quite playful about it. It's ridiculous. You know, when I told you about the idea, you sort of sniggered. Um, and that's how I felt when I thought of the idea. Yeah. So there's something quite different in in the compositional mood even if the short story doesn't turn out to be sniggery or cheeky there's something about that composition that feels quite antic um, and that's different from novels which is much slower much more deliberate it's difficult to to not generalize but i wonder as well is there an element of that character development is difficult within short stories now I, I'm, I like dystopian science fiction and so I like the what if what if we could time travel what if we could have nanotechnology in our bodies you can do I feel like you could do that idea as a sort of a short story or um, you know a long short story but that's not necessarily premise enough for, for a novel so whereas character the moment you're like I want to tell the story about how someone migrated to this country and learned about x y and z it's so is that is that fair to say as a sort of a generalisation that character is a harder thing to... I think so, to... yeah. And I think short story writers can get themselves into a bit of hot water with trying to use the epiphany to do character development. I am I'm quite suspicious of them in real life because I don't think that's how human nature works. I don't think that we... Um, I don't know, look out of the window and see the garden in a certain light and then decide that... I don't know, we're not going to be a philanderer anymore. (laughs) You know, I I don't think, I think people do change, but I don't think that's how they change. And I am also quite suspicious of the way that they are used in short stories to usher in an ending or to give some kind of unearned fanfare or gravity at the at the ending and I actually quite like the way that Joyce in Dubliners uses the epiphany so I think my favorite story from that collection is um Evelyn which is all about change she is she's leaving her family she's going on a boat she's going to go to Argentina she's had this quite kind of restricted miserable life and she's going to go away everything's going to be fantastic and there is a, a you know a kind of ironized epiphany she, I think she hears the horn um of the boat and she realizes that she's going nowhere that she is going to stay and the boat is going to go and there's there's something there that I think was very truthful about character change and character development that would not have worked in a novel we couldn't have gone 300 pages with with Evelyn and her not get on the boat um, <laughs> if we you know if we go 10 12 pages with her then then we can so there's something about um the epiphany and the way that short stories or short story writers or short story writers who've been taught short story construction in maybe an, an unimaginative way that um, I'm quite suspicious of. There's a, a writer called David Jouse. Um, he's written this great book called Alone With All That Can Happen. It's about writing. That's That's the American title and it's a beautiful title. When it's published in the UK, it's called something like writing fiction which is like loads less interesting <laughs> so alone with all that can happen and he talks about um epiphanies and he's, he's a creative writing teacher as i am and he says that he's read 
hundreds and hundreds of student short stories and they all have epiphanies at the end and he has never as the reader been made any wiser by them and it's it's such a, a hard thing for a short story writer if you feel that you've got to deploy some wit or wisdom about life to your reader and it really underestimates the reader they know as much about being alive and being a human as you do and he talks about the predictability of the epiphany as a way of doing character change and character development. He says they arrive at the end of the story exactly on time, like trains in a fascist state. <laughs> He's really, really against them. And I think really the way that that stories do character development is maybe not necessarily about change, but something to do with understanding that a character may not have a character may not have more understanding of their situation or they may have a faulty understanding or they may grope for understanding and miss it but that the reader sees something a little differently a little a little more and that feels a more modest aim for a short story but also a more nuanced and more subtle one yeah sort of how dare you write only 3,000 words and, it, and expect me to go, oh, wow, I'll live my life differently now. Exactly. This, this great moral yeah. message you've communicated. Thank you so much. And there's something to do with the story's relationship to the joke or the riddle, um, the twist in the tale story. And I, I love stories to surprise me. I love stories to make me laugh. I think Roald Dahl in... Um, uh, he, he you know, wrote short stories for adults and I think he was really great at these kind of short stories. But if you read four or five of them in a row the kind of tales of the unexpected, you begin to expect the thing that you're not supposed to expect. So it's it's quite a tricky thing. I think the hardest thing about short stories is their ending because of all these cultural forms we've got. Mm. It's interesting. I'm a, a, I'm a huge fan of H.P. Lovecraft. Um, and it's interesting you say that because when you talked about epiphany, it's just this sort of penny drops, like, that's it. Your, your, your story, Terry doesn't change, but he has this giant realisation, this, you know, like a bolt. Um, and, so and he knows something that I think the reader will have figured out just before him so that we get to see him, we get to see his penny dropping while we're still recovering from our penny dropping. Yeah, and so with Lovecraft, it seems that actually uh, there isn't so much of a, of a message about, you know, war or, or whatever, or technology or whatever it might be. It's just pulling on a string and the string changes colour and you never know what little bit you're going to get next. And actually it's more, maybe again, another cliche but it's more about the the journey of this sort of um discovering a crazy world and then it just sort of finishes because it just makes it makes it surprising because you're on a journey of discovery rather than just sort of awaiting this yeah realization at the end yeah i don't want to use an epiphany or a twist or um a surprise a reveal a joke and i i, I love those things happening to me as readers as a reader but i don't want to use those techniques as a writer in order to deliver a theme or a moral or an idea and short story does have a relationship to the fable to the parable you know they're kind of teaching forms I don't want to use my short stories to do that what I want is to give my reader a really effective emotional almost physical experience and then what they do with that and what meaning they make out of that is entirely up to them the reader knows from the beginning of Midsummer Eve that that Terry's a terrible person um that he doesn't understand his own privilege that he's completely blind to the way that he's safe and comfortable and, and other people aren't 
that's not news. That's not news to any of us. The the horror of that story is the way that other things become news to Terry. And I want the reader to really feel that and then figure out what that means on their own time. Mm. And I, 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 coming back to um, uh, a bit that we were talking about earlier is in terms of the planning. Now, obviously, there are different types of writer, the extremes of sit down and write and the people who make spreadsheets for eight years. And, and we were all on that sort of continuum. Um, but is speak, you know, for, for yourself, do you plan um, your short fiction or do you have that idea and know that you can reach the end of, of, the, of the telling or have a sense of where it's going in your mind or do you um, you know write out the synopsis and then beef it up from there and, and do you know how others do it as well and is it necessary? I know that I need to get the sweet spot before I start of what I know and what I don't know um, I don't seem to be able to start a short story unless I know something big and interesting about the what. It might not be the what happens, but there's something about the topic of the subject matter that I've got a question about that I want to go into. So I will go back to my dowsing story. I'm really interested in um, what happens if they are either successful or unsuccessful. And I don't know if they're going to find a body or not. I've no idea. And I'm really excited about that. Um, I've done some research about dowsing. I spent yesterday, um, was my writing day, and I spent the afternoon in bed watching videos of on YouTube of people dowsing um, and reading um, the, the website of the British Dowsing Society. So this is kind of pre-research, not particularly glamorous, just me in bed with a plate of biscuits, but that's what I did. So I need to know a bit about the what, but not everything. And I have to have a question that excites me. And I am excited about whether they're going to find a body or not. And I don't know. And then I need to know the how, um, how I'm going to tell it. And I don't need to know everything about the how, but I need to know if it's going to be first person or third person, what tense I'm going to use and something to do with the tone. And very often there's a very clear relationship between the what and the how and so because this is a story about a marriage I know that the how is going to be some quite slippery first person plural the, it's going to be told in the we voice um, so I have enough to start but I have don't have enough to finish so I'm going to have to write into it and in terms of the process I would expect to write about twice as much as, as what I need and so I let myself ramble dither write badly, write repetitively, use as many cliches as I can come up with because the actual writing takes place in the second and the next 10 drafts where I cut and make everything as short and clean and sharp as possible. And and that process is pretty stable for my short fiction. I figure out enough about the what and the how to start and then I dive in and allow myself to make a complete mess. Um, and Patcha talked about and she was talking about novels but I think it works with short stories as well the most important thing is to forgive the first draft for being what it is it doesn't work for me if I try and make my first drafts like a really good short story writer's final drafts and I think a lot of the students that I work with and less experienced writers they kind of fall afoul of process where they compare their own first drafts to the finished drafts of the short stories that they love and they don't realise that there's probably six months of 
crying and deleting and editing <laughs> and workshopping between those two. It's interesting as well that when you're on a journey and for the first time, you can be 100 metres away, but you don't know yet. And so, and, and then when you repeat those journeys, like, oh, we're about halfway, we've only got a few more minutes to go. And so if you don't have a goal, uh, you know, this story is leading up to the, the realisation of um, that there is no water under that particular bit of ground, there's a body. Without knowing that you're heading there, that must be difficult to, again, bring the plane into land at the right moment on the runway and not anywhere else? Or is that, are you saying, is that the purpose of those first drafts? Is it doesn't matter? Yeah, you bring the, it in. The, in the first draft, the plane doesn't go anywhere near the end of the runway. It explodes <laughs> in midair. It, it, it lands con air-like, um, you know, in a, in a heavily built-up area. Um, no, the plane does bad, bad stuff in the first few drafts. And some of this is about holding your nerve and some of it is about having faith in process. And it's much easier for me to have faith in process because I've written um, lots of short stories and I have written some novels. I think the training that I have had as a novelist where you have to hold your nerve and let it be awful and let the plane explode in midair repeatedly for three years <laughs> that, that that's been a really good training and being able to hold your nerve so I can work on a short story that way and so there's some things that are a little bit easier in the composition of short stories and I think the other is that you can see the whole thing at once yeah that I can write that first draft and even if I want to end up with a short story that's maybe 4,000 words and I've written 9,000 words I can still read it in one go I can still get a yeah. sense of pace and shape and it's much, much more difficult with a novel to step back from the canvas and to see the whole thing at once. And I wanted to, to talk about pace, actually, because it's it's something that struck me. It's why I like uh, J.G. Banner, particularly his earlier stuff, is that they are short novels. And um, again, I, I'm not a literary cr a critic, but I sense that there is a it's a singular upward trajectory. He just ramps up, ramps up, ramps up. And longer novels and more contemporary novels have these sort of twists and turns and a bit of a doldrums in the middle and there's a peak and a climax and this and the river reversals. But with a short story, you get this, um, or do, you know, do you always get this sort of singular trajectory where it's ramping up, ramping up, ramping up. And so it's, a, it's an effective delivery of, of that climax because it's not sort of, it's not paced in a way that's, well, I need to reverse it and then I need to sort of everything to settle down in the middle because you don't have that 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 space is that generic or is there room to do sort of um changes of pace within a short story i mean i love short stories like that i love the intensity and i love mm. genres whether in short fiction or, or in the novel or, or indeed in film that use suspense as a, a narrative motor that that withhold something from the reader and tell the reader in some way Something is being withheld and I'm going to give it to you at the end. There's there's a very particular kind of relationship and it is seductive and addictive and I love to create it and I love to be on the receiving end of it. And there are other options. And so I think short stories also have a relationship to the essay as well as to the poem, to the, to the radio drama and, and to plot and the novel and film. And what the essay does is that it thinks... It meditates, it maybe stays on the spot and just looks, it maybe goes round in circles 
you know, we've got that upward trajectory towards a climax on whether that is an epiphany or a reveal or a twist in the tail. And if it's done well, it's great and we love it. And it is like a shot in the arm. But we've also got models that are to do with the meander of thought and that perform thought and thinking and the model of that really, really well. And and I enjoy those those as well. And I guess kind of stepping back from an individual short story, that's what I love about anthologies, that it's like this buffet of emotional effect and genre and mood. I'd almost always rather have an anthology with lots of different writers than buy one writer their 12 short stories because I think you get that that breadth in that range and you mentioned cutting as well um that you you write sort of to double the length which again i don't know if, if many writers do this but with a novel it would seem unlikely that you would write double the length and and hack it back maybe that happens but but um talk a bit about approaches to cutting things back or maybe a particular example of something that you wrote twice the length and what are the decisions that you're making to say don't need this gonna have to get rid of this um backstory i try and cut so with midsummer eve i cut scenes of the couple in the airport i cut scenes of the couple buying their tickets to go on holiday i cut scenes of the first few days in the resort when it was busier when there were more people there um so i cut all of that and i everything i cut i thought you know i've got 300 words here what is the most important thing I want to show? And can I do that in three words? And it's very good for the ego. <laughs> um, I think you've got to have, you've got to have this faith that typing is cheap and that there's plenty more words where that came from that I can type 300 words in half an hour if I need to. So let's just cut it and, and get rid of it. And I guess the advice I would give to other writers is if your ego really doesn't let you do it, you don't need to delete it. You can go and put it in another file. You can save it. Whatever you need to do to trick yourself into, you know, if you think those words are precious, then let them be precious somewhere else. Um, so I do that. Um, dialogue I look at. Quite often my dialogue is too long because I write I write the way people really talk, which is a lot of blethering, um, a lot of beating around the bush, a lot of misdirection and small talk. And I'm writing my way into a knowledge of the characters. And once I know the characters, I can cut a lot of that and just imply that a longer conversation has been had. But I'm just going to show the reader the couple of lines that were most important. Quite often I have to lop off the first two or three pages and also the last couple of pages had someone describe it to me once, the first two or three pages of a lot of short stories. Maybe it was Toby Lit. He might deny this if I'm misremembering it, but I think it was Toby Lit. And he said it was like clearing your throat when you come up to the lectern before you give a speech and that no one needs the throat clearing. Just start. So I chop off, quite often chop off the first bit. And then the end... Yeah, I do, I do chop the end quite a lot and often, again, that's either ego or a lack of trust in the reader that I need to kind of hang around and explain. I'm like, did you get it? You know, did you really get it? Did you think it was good? Did you like it? And then get rid of all that. The reader, I needed to do it. The reader doesn't need to see it. So those are the things that I know and I do all that before I show to someone else and quite often another reader will pick up repetitions in description that I miss and I think that's a great thing with a short story that if you've got a location and you've described it once if the characters go back to it you don't need to describe it again because the reader was there two minutes ago 
So there's something about the reading time that is quite difficult to judge that another reader can help me do that. It's it's interesting, again, thinking of um, of Midsummer Eve, your how I felt who Terry was so quickly with a couple of bits about the way that he saw the people who worked in the hotel, but also the language that he used. And I, it's funny, you're sort of talking about cutting and, and crunching things down is... Um, I guess maybe that that long version is the working out. It's the exercising. It's the workshopping the character to find out what their their colloquialisms are and um, idiosyncrasies. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that bit up because the bit at the beginning I cut was that they were in the airport um, and that Terry was making a speech about Brexit and he was making a speech (laughs) about like not being able to get... Um, you know, the service and not being able to get the staff and where are all these people who should make his life easier? Where were they? And he couldn't figure this out. And I just cut so much of that and kept the most important thing, which is his attitude to people who do that kind of domestic work and hospitality work. I think the reader knows full well which way Terry voted, and it's never it never needs to be mentioned in the story. He, he's just such a vivid character. He is uh, just straight away the language and and the way that he talks about his um, talks about his wife um, as well. So, um, but but also it wasn't. I didn't feel like it was kind of two dimensional. It wasn't kind of a you know throwaway pub landlord kind of character. It was you know he was nuanced as well within you know sort of looking after his wife and so on. But um, um, I, I just it was so effective uh, and so efficient. Um, with delivery of that I'm I would be remiss if I didn't talk about uh, and ask for your opinions on David Mitchell who I relatively recently discovered I I read Cloud Atlas only a couple of years ago and was like oh my god and then I read so I read Ghost Written and I'm now currently reading The Thousand Autumns of um, Jacob de Zoe, which I'm loving and uh, I've watched interviews with him and he says I'm not really a novelist I'm a fake novelist I'm a short story writer who will give you a little that where a Venn diagram overlaps by a micron, you know, in between linking these stories together. And I know that's true in some of his um, novels more than others. Do you have any, as someone who's written novels and as someone who writes short fiction, um, are you, what's your sort of view? Can you see the short storiness within the novels? Yeah, I mean, he's quite a, I mean, I, I, I like his work, so I want, you know, none, none <laughs> of this is a kind of critical um, analysis of his work, but he's quite a modular writer, I would say. Mm. Um, and I think that that is like his real strength. I was thinking about Black Swan Green. I don't know if you've read that. I've, I have to say, yeah, I, I just, I will say oddly, as someone who completely is, loves David Mitchell, I got to the middle and I was so frustrated with the promises that I, I felt that I had been given about the, you know, the, the lady who we finds in the bedroom and the, and I was like, when do we ever get to find out? But it wasn't. It was almost like a meandering. And I found it really hard to, to finish, actually. But sorry, say Black Swan Green. Black no, Swan no. Green. Well, I was just going to say that is the, the book of his that maybe stands apart from some of his other work. But it's still quite modular, the way that it's tracked mm. onto the months of the years. And we almost get a short story for each month and a little leap forward. So he is quite a modular writer in the way that he deals with structure and also the way he deals with genre that he can do these huge gear changes and voice changes. And it's it's just so exciting. Um, and, and what hangs it together for him, I, well, I, w- I won't speak for him, but I've read an interview where he talked about his planning of the bigger novels being about mapping. And that he, you know, these really old-fashioned kind of Tolkien-style maps that he does of places and of locations. And that for him, the novelistic urge is about exploring terrain rather than exploring cause and effect. Um, 
And I just found that so, so interesting. I think the interview is, is called something like Master Builders, something like that. But it is, it's definitely about that idea of construct, constructing the, the whole out of small pieces, but that being a method about exploring a bigger terrain. And I found that so fascinating. And yeah, those gear changes between voice and between genre that you see in Cloud Atlas and the way that he links it together with, um, with time, I think, you know, so fascinating, so interesting. Yeah, I think I also quite like writing short fiction because for all those of us who, you know, if you work full time and you're not able to, um, and your memory is as, as bad as mine, is I, if you write from one weekend to the next, you can't, you're, you can't remember what you're, what's going on in this giant world if you're doing a, a, a novel, whereas a short story, it's, it's direct. As you said earlier, like the mission is direct um, about where you're getting to. And you can see it, you can achieve something in a weekend and that you might write a terrible first draft, but you've got the thing, you've got, you know, going back to this idea of the modular, I don't know, it's like knitting squares on a blanket and you might never finish the whole blanket, but you've got, I say this because I'm a knitter as well, but you've, <laughs> you've got that little section and you can see it and you've done a thing and I think that's really, um, really intriguing. I went, I went to a, a lecture uh, a few weeks ago, and it was about um, making and the kind of making that people did during the pandemic. So sewing, um, knitting, um, art, all kinds of crafts. And this woman in her research had found that during the pandemic, people had moved away from huge big projects like I don't know sewing a suit or a ball gown and they'd moved really abruptly to small projects that they could finish so you know the dressmaker would start making I don't know like little hats or gloves or whatever and the knitter would you know move away from big jumpers and start knitting toys and I thought about the the novel or the novelist writing short stories or blogs or posting really heavily on Instagram, which is what I did during the pandemic. And there's something about times of pressure and times of anxiety, times of chaos, where a short form is really good for the writer and also for the reader. Um, yeah, I, I don't know whether that is true for lots of writers or readers, but when I listened to this woman's talk which is mainly about knitting and dressmaking, I thought, this makes sense to me as a maker. Interesting. Well, I, oddly, I've always described cooking as the reverse of marketing, whereas, you know, in when you're at an agency in marketing, uh, everyone else has to feed into the idea. It takes about six months to do. You don't necessarily care about the outcome. You don't get to enjoy it anyway, whereas cooking... You look in the fridge, you go, I'm going to do this. No one else inputs and you get to eat it at the end of 40 minutes. And maybe maybe a short story is kind of the, you just get to cordon it off and have it all in one go. There's, it's the lack of deferred gratification, maybe. Yeah, maybe um, that's it. The lack of deferred gratification that, you know, yes, short stories can run on dispense, suspense and they can defer some knowledge or wisdom or insight or some emotional kick for the reader. But for the writer, we can get our kick of having a draft much, much much quicker than we we can if we insist on being novelists or memoir writers. That's it. And, and dare I bring in a, another music metaphor, but is they say with musical instruments and learning musical instruments, you have to get to a stage where it's enjoyable as quickly as possible. So guitar and a piano are quite good because quite quickly you can play a little tune, whereas violin and other things are really difficult to make to get it fun. So with a short story, you can get right into that world and right into the, the, the character or the plot and feel that there's time passing. Um, Whereas this sort of, uh, you know, the giant mountain that you have to traverse of your 85 
things on an Excel spreadsheet or Trello or whatever you if you plan your novels in. I think, and, and in the teaching that I do, the kind of sports psychology for writers around holding your nerve, around managing your process, around managing drafts, getting feedback, I have to do loads more work on those topics with novelists. I do, and, and loads more support with novelists. And I think it's because the thing is in such an awful mess for such a long time. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's difficult. Maybe I, we should all I, be like David Mitchell and write chunks, write more modularly, and then there would be less mad novelists around. That's it. Just write little your little modular steps, like Lego, and then you could just build it into a yeah. Brilliant, Jen. I wondered, was there anything you feel that I've that I've missed, or that's you know particularly um, would be particularly useful that we haven't covered? I mean, we've covered so much ground um, from from character and and theme and and planning and so on. Is there anything in particular you feel that uh, that we, that we haven't put in there, or that's like a, a great piece of advice um, to sort of to to round off where we are? I guess a piece of advice that I. Um, I use and I quote to myself when I'm writing short stories and it helps me with coming up with ideas and it helps me with the process with the edit and it also helps me to know when it is finished and it's something that I heard Kirsty Logan say at an event in Lancaster a few years ago now I'm trying to think how old my kids were like maybe eight or nine years ago and she talked about um, a novel like entering a garden and you'd go through the door into the secret garden and you'd hang out in the garden and you'd be able to wander around and see everything. And she said a short story was like constructing the keyhole in the door that the reader looks through. And there's something about that that unlocked, I guess. Um, yeah. It really helped me understand that I still needed to imagine the whole garden and I still needed to know about the whole garden. And I, my job as a a technician, a craftsperson, was to construct the keyhole, the angle that the reader would peep at it and how much of it they would see. And it was such a great metaphor that I try and inflict it. I hope I hope Kirsty is... Um, I always credit her, so I hope that that's okay with her, but I try and inflict it on as many other writers as possible because it made such a big difference to me. That is, that is fantastic advice and beautiful as well. Um, so, yes, brilliant. Jen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk, uh, talk to us today. It's just a fascinating conversation, and I know it'll, it'll equip um, our, our listeners with actionable skills. They can go away and, and, and start to craft um, and hone and cut down um, their their short stories so thank you so much thank you for having me a huge thank you to jen for her time and don't forget that if you want to read midsummer eve and find out what happens to terry you can find it at blackshuckbooks.co.uk if you want to find out more about our creative writing courses workshops and mentoring you can do so on our website if you have questions or want to get in touch, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Writers Centre, and you'll find us on Facebook by searching National Centre for Writing. Don't forget to sign up to our weekly newsletter by visiting nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and clicking the orange drop-down box on the homepage. As a UK-registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. You can make a donation over on the website today by hitting the Support Us button in the top nav. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us because it helps other writers to find the podcast. Thanks again, keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode.